Zoom is equal parts an enterprise and a consumer company now. Because like my nine-year-old niece is like, hey, Sean, you want to Zoom this weekend? <laughs> and I don't think that's changing either. So some of these things just, they happen. And that forcing function allows them to ramp a learning curve and they find that they like what they saw. That's Sean Duffy, CEO of the digital care company, Omada Health. Sean joins Dan Rubenstein, CEO of the musculoskeletal care company, Fizera, to discuss how and why Omada acquired Fizera in the midst of a pandemic. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For more information on us, visit health.oliverwyman.com and follow us on Twitter at OWHealthEditor. I'm Oliver Wyman Editor, Jacqueline DeKiera. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. My name is Adi Lingampali, and I'm a principal in the health and life sciences practices here at Oliver Wyman. Today, I'm joined by two guests. Our first is Sean Duffy, co-founder and CEO of Omada Health. Omada Health is a digital health company tackling chronic diseases. Our other guest is Dan Rubenstein, CEO of Fizera. Fizera offers virtual physical therapy services to patients with various musculoskeletal conditions. Notably, Fizera was acquired by Omada in May of this year. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Uh, how are you both doing? We are well. Thanks for having us on the podcast here. Good morning, Aditya. Thank you for uh, including us. Let's start first by talking about the big news that everyone in healthcare has been talking about. Teladoc announced that it was acquiring Livongo for $18 billion. What are your thoughts on that deal? How do you think it will impact the digital health landscape? You know, it's funny. I hadn't, I hadn't heard of that news. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start here and then, uh, you know, Dan, you can chime in too. Look, at the end of the day, I think this is a massive validation for a virtual approach to health. You know, I think it's a statement, it's a statement of the times that the, the deal of healthcare that everyone's talking about this year is a, is a deal that involves digital care. So, you know, as, as we look at the trajectory we've been on at Omada and the mantra that we've long held, which is in-person healthcare is option B and thinking about ways to increase value affordability experience by delivering services from afar. I think it's a huge validation of that. That is where healthcare is going. And despite the fact that, you know, the pandemic is tragic in so many ways, we can all hope that we end up with a better healthcare system because of it. So I think this is the starting line of a lot of excitement in this space. I would completely second that. I think Teladoc and Lavanga are examples of very innovative companies uh, in the space. I think Omada and Fizera are also equally innovative, and I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation coming in the next few years as healthcare catches up with the capabilities. I think if you look at where technology is and what we're able to do with technology across different industries, I think healthcare is years, if not decades, behind where it should be. And I think a crisis like COVID has really accelerated uh, the adoption of better ways of doing healthcare. And as you mentioned COVID, I guess let, let's jump into it. I'm curious to see how COVID has impacted your business and how uh, Omada Health and Fazera have positioned themselves for the future in the midst of this, uh, this crisis. Way, way before COVID, the mantra at Omada was in-person care is option B. Not for everything, of course, there are you know, real things that require in-person support, but so many of the critical, most vexing condition areas that are grappling, you know, the country's grappling with can be addressed from afar. So ahead of COVID, I thought that'd be a 10, 15 year earnest journey to get there. And I think it's being pulled in quickly. The biggest forcing function is what happened basically overnight is hundreds of millions of Americans started to ask themselves, can I get this care without having to show up in a doctor's office, without having to sit in a waiting room? Uh, can I get this care from afar? And if you think of the dominoes that that triggers, all these individuals that are asking this question have insurance plans. They're asking their plans and or their employers. 
what, what offerings do you have that can support this need? And that kind of lands in Omada's lap at the end of the day. So it's, um, you know, I do think that this is a fascinating time, huge accelerant to companies that um, are delivering care from afar. And Omada's, Omada's uh, in that camp and, and Fizera is core squarely in that camp as well. Yeah, I like to say uh, that there's nothing like a crisis to focus the mind. Once COVID and the shelter-in-place shutdowns began, uh, we saw a tremendous uptick in interest in our program and our offering. Uh, we had a huge increase in appointments with our providers. Our program is completely virtual, of course. We had a number of health plans that we had been courting for months, if not years. All of a sudden, they're calling us and they want to meet next Tuesday, right? So it was huge acceleration, uh, both from the patient and the customer side for our company. And I think it's actually borne out to be a better way of, of doing care for as a, as a frontline treatment, right? You don't need to go in person when there's concern now about exposing yourself to the coronavirus, uh, having the ability to access care from, from the comfort of your home and getting expert advice from a specialist is really valuable for people and they really appreciate having that. And we're, we're very glad to be able to offer it at this time. I'm curious, Dan, you mentioned uh, the uptick in uh, visits and essentially patients that have uh, sought out services from Fizera and even from Amada Health in the midst of this crisis. Um, you know, we're hearing industry reports of telehealth and digital medicine growing, you know, upwards of triple digits in percentages. Are you able to share any sort of um, measures or numbers that you're seeing as far as uh, what the uptick looks like? And more importantly, do you think that that is a point in time or do you think that's actually a transformation that's here to stay and, and that uptick in uh, usage of digital health services will be sustained even post-COVID. In terms of the uptick, it's hard to decouple. I mean, as an early stage startup, you know, we've been in, in the market now for three years at a very high and fast growth trajectory. So it's very hard for us to decouple organic growth simply because we're growing very fast and adding new customers quarter every quarter uh, from, from COVID. But I will say that we since Q2 of this year, there's been a, a step function increase in our business, even taking into account existing customers. And it's a significant multiple. Let, let, me, let me leave it at that. In terms of whether this is a change that's here to stay or if it's a transient one, I actually believe that when it comes to, let's call this a tectonic shift, right? So I'm going to switch to an example, for example, from telecommunications, right? There are certain countries in the world that didn't have landlines and they essentially skipped that whole infrastructure of landlines once mobile came out. And there's no reason for them to go back and implement landlines now. And I think now that we've seen the power and the capability of telehealth, I think it will be here to stay even after the crisis has passed. I think, again, it's not going to replace in-person care. It's going to continue to augment it. But having that as a first-line treatment for all cases, it makes a lot of sense. Why do you need to drive to your clinic? Why do you need to take up all the time in the waiting room when you can just have a quick appointment? And for those people who need more intense care, by all means, go, go for in-person care. So I think we will see a structural shift. And I think this crisis has made it possible for people to get comfortable around it across the ecosystem, patients, providers, and payers. And I'm hoping that the payers will continue to pay for it long after the crisis has passed. And I, I agree there. I, mean, I always think of my mom who now is, you know, she's a suffers with chronic pain and has to you know, have a lot of visits with clinicians. And she's doing a lot of those by video and I ask my mom, well, what, you know, are you, are you, do you plan to go back in person post pandemic once there's a vaccine? She's like, no way. This is a 25 minute drive. I'd wait in the waiting room. Like I'm loving this. So to bring kind of another analogy to the tech side, I mean, Zoom is equal parts an enterprise and a consumer company now. Cause like my nine-year-old niece is like, Hey Sean, you want to Zoom this weekend? And I don't think that's changing either. So some of these things just, um, they happen and that forcing function allows them to ramp a learning curve and they find that they like what they saw. 
You know, I'm, I'm so I'm so glad you brought up the example of your mom actually embracing these services because oftentimes, you know, when, when we talk about the shift to digital health, there's all, mm-hmm. and particularly in treating chronic conditions, elderly are afflicted by more than uh, the younger. The, the criticism may come up. Well, you know, the elderly might prefer in-person visits. They might actually prefer the uh, the personal touch of a physical uh, physical space of you know the, the provider that they can see. And it sounds like you're actually seeing that that's not necessarily the case. Both the young and the elderly are adopting digital technologies in all aspects of their lives and healthcare is no different. Well, the rubric that I always share when I get asked that question, I'm sure Dan gets assessed all the time too, is what it's like, well, oh, can seniors use technology? Can seniors use your digital? And, and, and the question that you actually need to be asking is how do you design technology that's simple enough that anybody can use it? You know, you can't just assume that anyone from any bent of technological competence can use what you've got, but you do need to put a lot of agency to make sure it's ultra simple, really elegant experience. Um, and then that allows... Um, uh, it to pass what I was called the Sean Duffy's mom test. The user experience is everything. And if you design your program uh, to be easy to use, people will use it. Let's talk about that program design a bit. You know, Omada has touted itself as being able to bring together this idea of uh, health coaches, as well as building a community around the patient, um, enabling the patient with self-learning, as well as uh, powering, that, powering that entire experience with uh, data and analytics to, to, uh, to curate it and drive behavior change. It would be great for, uh, for us to understand a little bit about how those components work together, what aspects of those components you find to be more effective or you know, others that you're looking to further improve capabilities on. In many ways, the way Fizera and Omada think about digital healthcare is very much aligned, which is why, why this was a very natural match. We both uh, value the human touch and leveraging technology to augment and assist that human ability. For us, I think there's a lot of potential synergies here in patient onboarding, treating multiple conditions and comorbidities, transitioning patients uh, as needed between different care programs. So I think there's a lot of potential here for, for offering specialist digital health care uh, across a broad spectrum of conditions. Ultimately, you know, the televideo, the, te- the, tele, uh, the video chat components of that, I, I think that's going to be commoditized. I think we're seeing that already. Uh, I think what's going to set different solutions apart is the depth uh, and the breadth of their offerings. Yeah, I'd echo that. And I always, uh, you know, when I'm out there on behalf of the, the company, share that you can't get trapped in the single instrument fallacy with like a prayer that that one thing is going to cut it. Like that great piece of content, that great community, that great device, you know, the great tracking. Like you really have to have a combination of licensed professionals that know how to do great work, empowered with technology, and really all of the above. So, you know, we, we sometimes joke there's 10 digital health companies in one at Omana because it's actually an independent company in every single one of those things. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, that's where we immediately had a mind meld, you know, with the physerity and that they were approaching the product, you know, and, and the treatment and care vision. So you're alluding to it, but let's actually talk about it in a bit more detail. Would love to hear the behind the scenes of how Omada, Omada Health and Physera essentially uh, decided to come together. Sure. Um, you've been in certain spaces historically in pre-diabetes, diabetes, hypertension, and a little bit of behavioral health. Musculoskeletal was a new category. And instead of building it out, you ended up essentially acquiring Fizera to enable that capability. We always, as you might imagine, ask our customers, you know, at customer summits or just check-ins, you know, is there anything else you'd want from Amada? We love to like include your input in our thinking and, and what we build next or do next and how we better serve you. And musculoskeletal came up as a persistent need. It's, you know, it's an extraordinary cost driver for, you know, employers. It's not well managed uh, in the current care ecosystem. And, uh, you know, it's something that it was very, very clear that people, our accounts wanted. 
the metabolic categories to prediabetes type 2, hypertension, behavioral, and musculoskeletal. Those are persistently in the top asks here and cover critical, critical needs. So there was, it was clear there was, a market, there was a market that was asking for it. And then the second order evaluation was, especially because Omada tends to be hypercritical about product experience and what, what really our participants and our patients are going to feel. You know, should we think about building this? Should we think about you know, buying and, and, and what might that look like? So we you know, ran a full analysis of the MSK landscape, praying that there would be a company that met the criteria of uh, you know, vision and product and team and, and culture and all the things that you need to make sure that you're delivering on you know, the, the, the press release that you put out there. And Dan, what, what made you entertain the offer? Um, you were clearly on a track and you were building Fazera out and then there was a vision there. And uh, could you speak us to some of the benefits that you saw in the partnership? Yeah, no, I mean, we were absolutely on our own uh, trajectory. We were not looking to get acquired initially. Uh, Sean approached us coming from a kind of high-tech uh, mindset, which is how do we use data and technology to improve healthcare delivery and treatment? And as we were learning more and more about the healthcare world, we we reached out to Sean as, to get his mentorship and advice many years ago um, and stayed in touch. And so when he approached us with his vision and his interest in uh, incorporating our musculoskeletal treatment program into Omada's portfolio, it sounded like a very compelling opportunity. Uh, Omada you know, is one, an early pioneer in the digital healthcare space. Their approach to healthcare is very similar to ours in terms of combining deep clinical care together with technology. Our interest was always in getting our solution and our care program to as many people as quickly as possible. And looking at Omada, I, I saw a, a path here where we would essentially leapfrog, you know, five to seven years <laughs> ahead uh, by being able to leverage their existing customer footprint, their, you know, their very advanced uh, capabilities as a company, uh, their experience. And I mean, they, there was a good cultural fit with their, with their organization. Sean, how many members does Omada serve today? Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, we've just crossed 380,000 and counting. So it's a, uh, I can't keep track of it. And <laughs> still, I'm proud of that. It's, you know, I mean, we're huge in our space. The, the, uh, at the end of the day, I always tell the companies, like, look, let's not, let's not pat ourselves in the back until we start, you know, getting to the, the millions, the five millions, the 10 million. So with the increase, uh, with, with the acceleration in telehealth and digital health services, um, you're going to attract more members, but also perhaps attract new competition and uh, uh, others that are looking to uh, try to do what you do. What about the Omada recipe, so to speak, do you, would you consider the secret sauce and perhaps the moat that you've been building over the number of years? And Dan, same question to you about Fizera. Well, firstly, the, you know, that's kind of the, the story of your life every month when you're in an attractive market that's delivering a lot of value and you're growing quickly. So this isn't that when we, a company should never rest on its laurels. You should always think about what you can be doing bigger and better. Um, you know, I will say that these are difficult, both operational and technological, you know, offerings to create. I mean, it involves a blend of people, regulations, licensure, technology across many, many dimensions. You know, this is not like a weekend sprint to, to build something. And then you're selling into a hugely risk averse buying market. We were five people at Omada and I was not, a, I never called ourselves a startup. We were always a digital health company because, you know, the healthcare buying market's quite risk averse. So you have to do things like get SOC 2, type 2, you know, certified high trust and have an entire compliance function, regulatory function. You have to do that, you know, um, pretty early, um, you know, in the game here. So there are, there are significant barriers to allow you to, to sell and commercialize. And then we tend to get a lot of client stickiness. So applaud anyone out there trying to make an impact in either the carriers we serve and don't serve um, and you know, encourage them to, to run hard. And we're going to be doing the same. Yeah, I would echo what Sean said. Looking back on our own trajectory, 
building the you know the basic form of our app was very quick. We had an app out in the market you know within six to nine months of when we started, and of course we've iterated and, and improved that app over time. But the the hard things were building a nationwide network of licensed clinicians to provide care, the infrastructure needed uh, to deliver that, and the compliance side. What we do is a lot more than just give a clinician. Zoom, right? You can't just give a physical therapist Zoom and say go and have them deliver effective care. So we have over the years developed a very compelling, deep program that leverages the technology of, of televideo chat. But at its core, there's, there, there are things that you do differently when providing telehealth than you would do in, in person. And it's not something that they teach you in schools today. And in fact, our clinical team is viewed as thought leaders in this space. We provide webinars and seminars on how to properly do telept. So I think there is a lot to do here that goes well beyond just pulling together an app and launching it. There's a lot more to do. And as far as providing digital services versus doing them in a retail space or uh, in that physical space of an office visit, um, what are some of the things that perhaps you're still not able to do in the digital health space that you're hoping to build those capabilities on in the future? Despite the mantra of in-person care is option B, you've got to make sure to recognize that in-person care is important. So you should first ask, can you deliver safely and effectively the care from afar? And if the answer is yes, great, you should do that. Um, and then if the answer is no, you know, not. So for Ramada, I mean, it's being very pragmatic about, okay, well, someone needs to get, that has type two in our program needs to get their eyes examined. That's probably something that we can't do, you know, digitally. So let's make sure that we make it really easy for them, you know, and get the data back and think about, you know, how we build relationships to make that transaction really simple. Some other things like, you know, get an A1C test, uh, we're experimenting with getting them into the home. I mean, we, um, we've done that for research you know, purposes. We have kind of an A1C kit all you know, set up that we can get out to people in the home. So you know, some things you can, you can build in the home. So basically every single year, what you'll do is take stock of has the device, the technology, the consumer behavior landscape changed? And does that mean that you can pull one more thing up into the cloud? And you just, if you just ask yourself that question every single year, you'll bit by bit make you, the experience you're offering to uh, you know, your participants more and more convenient. Yeah, our goal is not to replace in-person care. Our goal is to augment it and in so doing, make the whole system more efficient. I mean, as a country, we are spending so much money on healthcare and we're not getting the best results, right? And so there's clearly a misallocation of resources here. So having a better front end for the patients who need that level of care I think will free up resources to other patients who need deeper care. And so I actually feel like we're building a new world where there will be the right care for the right person at the right time. I don't see the mission here as being to do everything digitally. I don't think that, that, that doesn't make sense. I think ultimately you will need to have both good digital care and good in-person care and just use the digital solution where it's appropriate and have in-person be available for those people who need it. And today, as far as connecting the digital and the physical, you largely do it through perhaps referrals or uh, partnerships that you have. Oftentimes, in, and particularly in other industries, companies that start out solely focused on digital delivery end up having built a physical footprint later, I think more notably Amazon and uh, you know, companies to that effect. Is there any future in which uh, Omada Health builds a physical presence to augment its capabilities in-house <laughs> versus, versus continuing to partner and refer and Look, look we're, you know, we're ambitious here. I don't want to take anything off the table. I think if we ever, and you know, partnership, you've got to take that as base case, of course, because you know, the people that we serve are getting care elsewhere. So 
you have to have a, a collaborative mindset going into it. If we, if we did ever establish a physical presence trust, it would be very, very different than what you currently experience. Um, you know, similar to Amazon, when they started, you know, having a Amazon Go stores, it was a very different shopping experience. So, uh, you know, if we ever did, you know, in the, in the long arc of Amada's journey toward, you know, massive impact, establish a physical presence, it's going to be deeply unique. When we first started Fizero, we actually imagined a hybrid model where we would have PTs coming in a van to companies' parking lots for in-person care and for people who needed digital, we would do digital. If, if we find out that people do need in-person care and we need to augment our program, I think there are ways to do that. I echo Sean's sentiment that I don't think we should ever rule anything out. I think we're here to solve problems and, and make healthcare better and we'll go in whatever path uh, is needed. Let's talk a little bit about the future uh, of uh, Omada and uh, Fizero's path. So now you've come together, you have these combined assets, you're focused on es essentially the, the, the vast majority of chronic conditions that are afflicted, uh, that most Americans are afflicted by. What does the next few years look like for your combined company? Um, what are you focused on? How are you actually, not only from an external perspective, thinking about serving payers and your members, but also internally trying to align your resources so that you can mobilize mm -hmm. together? There's so many cool things that are on the product roadmap already in every single the care verticals. They're so, so cool. So expect uh, you know, over the next couple of years, lots of excitement announcements there. I think Dan shared every single month, every single minute, we're thinking, well, how can we do what we do even better? And I, you know, there's not been a year at Amato where we didn't come up with something interesting, you know, that turned into something to accelerate the value that we can offer to our customers and participants. So there's the things that we know are coming. There's the things that I'm sure will be cooking up. If I can tie this back to something we were talking about earlier, which is the rationale for the merger and acquisition. There are things that all digital health companies or all uh, healthcare providers need to do. Some of them are innovative and some of them are just table stakes. And so one of the advantages of being within the Omada family is that now we get to focus on the things that are differentiated and innovative and leverage the existing infrastructure that Omada has and the resources they have internally for the things that are table stakes and undifferentiated. So I think being uh, within Omada will allow us to focus more energy on developing uh, and accelerating the innovation that we're building. Are you, are you looking to go broader in terms of your disease capabilities or are you looking to go deeper in the existing uh, focus areas that you're, uh, that you're servicing? or perhaps a combination of both? Deeper for sure. Um, you know, broader, we're going to use the exact same rubric we always use, which is, you know, clinically evaluate what can be done. And then, uh, you know, from a commercial standpoint, evaluate what our customers need. So there's a new opportunities that strike that Venn diagram and we feel they're compelling. Um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll look at them. What are payers asking you to focus on beyond what your existing capabilities are? It's always an input into the criteria. They were so excited with the MSK news. Uh, we're going to continue to ask the questions. I've not, I've not, uh, zeroed in on the, the the one thing that I'm triangulating on. We're always constantly asking for input from our employers and payers on you know other other areas. So um, uh, you know we'll uh, continue to do that. From my perspective, uh, you know one thing I was seeing from payers and employers was their vendor fatigue. Right, they're tired of being approached by you know multiple point solutions. So I think the future is having companies like Omada who can offer a wide portfolio of solutions under a single contract. And I think that's that will provide efficiencies in the marketplace in terms of sales and contracting and, and having best of breed solutions across uh, their portfolio is something that a lot of customers are interested in having. We're, we're seeing that as well. We're seeing a, a rise in uh, 
call them bundlers or aggregator solutions, mm -hmm. or even just combined entities that are coming together and servicing pairs in a more holistic way and essentially stitching together a variety of point solutions. Oftentimes in that model, the integration across these solutions ends up being a bit more challenging. And uh, it's hard to see which particular solution is ultimately de delivering value for the member. You know, when you think about uh, Omada and Fizera, is that a bit more straightforward given that you're focused somewhat in different disease areas or are you running into some of those initial questions as well? No, I, I think you've hit it. It's very hard to stitch together two disparate vendors and have them coordinate. But I think the value that we bring being within the Omada family is that we will be able to do uh, over time a unified patient experience so that they just need to come in through one front door and access the care they need across whatever medical conditions they need. Yeah, completely agree. And that's the crux and why by disposition, we tend to as a company orient toward, you know, build versus buy, unless there's a company that has such a squarely in line product vision. You know, the, the market thesis that led us to the expansion is that it's really hard if you're an employer plan to have a contract across every single area. And then in the aggregation world, um, it's hard to piece together disparate offerings to create kind of an actual rhyme or reason on why the sum of the parts is, is more than them individually. So um, we aim, of course, with the thesis behind this to, to do both and do both um, you know, in an extraordinary way. I'm actually curious to hear your take on the future of healthcare. What are your predictions for the next five years of healthcare? And uh, <laughs> it, would be, it would be great to hear your bold predictions there. I'm, I'm going to call you up and hold you accountable to it in a couple of years. There you go. Yeah. Well, I can, I can start. So the, this is, I mean, it's a continuation of everything we've shared, but the um, part because of COVID and part because it was needed anyway, I think you're going to have more and more care pushed to push to the cloud. And I, I think people are underappreciating how big some of these businesses can get. I think there's going to be many, many businesses that are north of 10 billion market cap in the digital care space. And I think we're early innings because even if you just look at, my gosh, like even just revenue associated to physicians and their the procedures and the services they offer and render each year is like 1.6 trillion a year. So it's kind of the proverbial thing. Like why can Amazon just keep growing at a crazy rate? It's because as an overall fraction of commerce, e-commerce is still has lots of room to grow. So I think we're going to see the same thing in digital care. I think um, uh, it's going to surprise the world here. Do you see those players coming in in a more significant way? You mentioned Amazon. Uh, I mean, I'm, my, my personal viewpoint is that what usually happens is each company, if they enter a new space, it's in line with their core strength. So you see continued progress from Google will be in line with like really unique AI and computational computer science challenges. I think if you see something from an Apple, it's going to be aligned with incredible medical devices. If you see something from a Amazon that's different, it's going to be you know aligned with you know physical goods and supply chains. Yeah. So, but I, I personally don't believe they'll enter the world as as proper providers of care. But who knows? And Dan, what are your predictions for the future? Well, I I tend to not try to predict what the future will bring, I tend to think about what are the problems. And then I think if we can focus on the problems and try to imagine what solutions will exist, problems are much easier to predict. So I think if you look, what are the biggest problems today in the healthcare system? We spend a lot of money. Uh, access is, continues to be a huge problem. Fragmentation of care and essentially, I don't want to say also fragmentation of payers, right? Your ability to access healthcare depends a lot on who your healthcare uh, insurance provider is, right? And today, a lot of us uh, are tied to our employers. So your ability to access certain programs depends on whether your employer uh, or your health plan offers that. And I think we can learn a lot from what COVID has brought to us, right? So the government very quickly stepped in, instituted new regulations providing reimbursement for, for COVID-related 
conditions. A lot of payers are waiving or covering the full cost of COVID-related treatments. And it kind of begs the question, like, why doesn't this happen more generally? Why doesn't this apply across disease categories? Uh, and so I think in the next five to 10 years, there will be a, some sort of movement to a more basic universal healthcare coverage in this country. I'm not saying that private insurance won't have a place. It might be in, in, you know, in a supplementary insurance. So if that happens, I think that will be very meaningful so, so that it will allow a lot of innovation. It will allow us to address the basic healthcare needs that people have. And then we can develop more um, specialized solutions and care pathways for those that need it. And when you say that, do you, uh, do you anticipate the likelihood of a Medicare for all passing in an administration in the near future? Yeah, so I, I hesitate to, you know, with the problem with jargon and with labels and words is it means different things to different people. So if you ask, would it be a good thing to have some basic form of health coverage for everyone in the country? I think the answer is yes, right? We, I think it would be good for everyone to have some basic level of coverage um, and to allow for innovation in, in that space so that we can deliver lower cost, uh, efficient solutions to people who need it. And like I said, I think having private insurance or, you know, certainly will continue to spur innovation and development because a lot of things that, you know, development requires funding. It doesn't come cheaply. And so having the right incentives in place for people to continue to build new, new solutions. There's a reason why I think America is at the forefront of technological development in, in healthcare. And I think we need to maintain that capability and advantage. Uh, but certainly that doesn't preempt having and providing basic health care uh, for, for everyone. Fully agreed. And what made you uh, want to focus in on musculoskeletal uh, therapy and wh why that particular area of focus for Physera? It was a combination of both personal and objective factors. So uh, both my co-founder and I had direct experience with musculoskeletal issues. In, in my case, uh, my father was complaining of lower back pain, uh, thought he had sciatica, turned out to be stage four lung cancer that had metastasized to his bones. Uh, and in retrospect, I think if he had had, had access to a program like Fizera, uh, you know, a good, a good physical therapist would have seen that his symptoms were not consistent with sciatica and he would have gotten treatment a lot sooner. Uh, my co-founder Cam dislocated his shoulder while, <laughs> while swimming in the ocean. Um, and then, you know, the decision care pathway that he went down after that, you know, led him to believe that there was, you know, a lot of disruption that we could, we could bring to bear in the musculoskeletal space. Um, and then as we looked at the market, musculoskeletal conditions uh, are, are large cost driver in the healthcare system. Yeah, as we analyzed the market, musculoskeletal conditions rose to, to the top as one of the categories where there was a lot of spend and a lot of innovation uh, that could have been brought to bear. Thank you so much for joining me uh, and joining the Oliver Wyman Health uh, Podcast Network. Really appreciate the time. Thank you for the wonderful conversation and I look forward to uh, Got it. speaking with you again. Thanks yeah, a bunch. Thank you. What a All pleasure. Right. And thank you yep. so much. It's, it's been great speaking with you. Really enjoyed it. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's show, we invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified whenever a new episode goes live. For more information, follow us on Twitter at OWHealthEditor and visit our online healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health at health.oliverwyman.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time.